Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. We pray that tonight, as we look at this first chapter of Ecclesiastes, that you will help us to understand what the writer is saying and that you will dispel our illusions that we may live wisely before you. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, most people, most people live as if life matters. Most people live as if, uh, as if there's some significance to life, as if, uh, as if their life is important. People scurry around, worrying, stressing, working, always busy, working hard to try to attain something, to, to, try, to, to try to get hold of something, something that they are convinced matters. Australians statistically, are working longer and longer and longer hours, pushing themselves towards some goal, pushing themselves to, 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 to attain what, what they're looking for, whether that be comfort or, uh, or security or some kind of a nice retired life or, or, or providing for their children. They are pushing themselves to gain something that they think is, is valuable. Is that your life? Is that your 9 till 5 or 8 till 6 or 7 till 7? Day after day after day, scurrying around, stressing, worrying because you think you are going to try to attain something, something valuable. Well, is it valuable? What can you really attain in this life? What is there that you can get that you can keep? What, what difference does all our scurrying and worrying really make? I've quoted Woody Allen to you before, but this is such a, a, a beautiful quote, I think, that uh, I, I want to quote it again. He, he's talking about how he feels as he walks in Central Park. Let me quote Woody Allen says, I have, to, I have to set myself mental tasks. I have to prepare a speech. Think about casting. Otherwise, I know I will want to run up to people and shake them and say, Why are you bothering to sunbathe? What is the, what is the point of your pregnant belly? Why are you walking your dog? Toward what end? We're all going to die one day. Am I the only one who sees it? I, I will look around the park and, and think... We can cut to this scene 100 years from now and all these people will be dead. Our seemingly busy, busy lives ultimately mean nothing in this cruel and hostile universe. Well, welcome to the book of Ecclesiastes. A book of wisdom. A book of wisdom. A book... A book that is going to take us by the scruff of the neck and force us to look at reality in the face. A book that is not going to let us get away with the trite answers that we come up with about what we're living for. A book that will help us to see the way life is and challenge us to live appropriately. Now, we don't know who the actual author of Ecclesiastes is. This is an anonymous book. But uh, in verse 1, 
the author tells us what he's doing. He tells us that he's giving us the words of a wise man, a man that he calls, in Hebrew, Kohelet, or in Greek, the Greek translation, Ecclesiastes, hence the name of the book. Now, a Kohelet, or an Ecclesiastes, is a member of a kahal, or an ecclesia, an assembly, a gathering of people. They're a member of a gathering, or perhaps a teacher of a gathering. And so the NIV translates the word as teacher, Ecclesiastes teacher. Now this teacher, the author says, is the king in Jerusalem. The the son of David, he says. That sounds like Solomon, doesn't it? Son of David, king in Jerusalem. And it may well be that uh, what we've got here, uh, what the author is giving us is the words of Solomon. Have a look with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's what the book is, uh, what it contains. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And and then we dive straight into the teacher's words without further ado. Uh, We start off with a summary statement, a summary statement of the book, a summary statement of of life, a summary statement of everything. Uh, The teacher says that everything is, I'm sorry, I'm going to use another Hebrew word here, everything is havel, havel. Now, this is a bit of a difficult word to translate. The NIV translates Havel as meaningless. But perhaps uh, even if you're younger, you may be more familiar with the, uh, the King James translation. Uh, vanity, vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Quite a famous phrase, isn't it? Now, the, the word itself, it means literally uh, a small breath, like that. And uh, on your outline there, I've, I've put some other places in the Bible where the word is used. And this should help you, to, it should give you an idea of, of what the word means, how it's used metaphorically. Now there are four there. You see, the first three, the first three show how the word is used to mean um, fleeting, transient. It's kind of here one second, gone the next, like, like a breath on your outline. First from Psalm, 100, Psalm 30, 39. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but Havel, a breath. It's just gone. Or Psalm 144, similar. Man is like Havel, a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. We'll look at Proverbs 31. This is a beauty. Charm is deceptive and beauty is Havel, fleeting. One second you're beautiful, the next second you're ugly. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Do you see the meaning in these contexts? It's um, transient or, or fleeting. Here one minute, gone the next. Like a breath. Or, or in the next verse, you can see a slightly different use of the word. Same word, but used a, in, a, in a slightly different metaphorical way. Here the word means like um, insubstantial, inconsequential, powerless, weak, something like that. From Isaiah 57. When you cry out for help, let, let, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath, a havel, will blow them away. Do you see what that one's saying? Idols are so useless that even a tiny, insubstantial, inconsequential, weak breath will blow them away and they're gone. Okay, so this word havel, it means 
it means insubstantial, it means fleeting, it means weak, it means transient. It's not meaningless in the sense of having no meaning, but, but in terms of having no lasting consequence, no lasting substance or effect. Do you, do you get the, the vibe of the word? Anyway, the teacher says that that is what life is like. Like the merest of breaths. It is gone so quickly. You can't, you can't kind of grasp hold of it. it. It just slips away. Verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless. Hevel of hevels, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The other night I was lying in bed with my oldest son and, and suddenly it hit me. He is seven years old. A couple more sevens and if he breaks the pattern of Australian young men, he'll, he'll probably have left home. 21 years of age, he'll be gone. I was gone just about by then. Uh, if that is the case, I have had him for a third of the time that I will have him. But I swear it was yesterday that he was born. It was yesterday that I was, I was holding this tiny little baby in my arms. Where did the time go? What have I achieved? Or, or I get the same feeling whenever we have an NTE mission. Uh, all these uni students come and help us at church for a week and they're all like 18, 19, 20 years of age, so young. Uh, much closer in age to my children than to me. But I tell you, it was just yesterday that I was at uni. I swear, I just blinked and, and I was there a second ago. It was just yesterday that I was avoiding study and chasing Carmelina, my wife. <laughs> Where did the time go? What have I achieved? Apart from catching Carmelina. <laughs> and it was gone. Utterly havel. This week I did a funeral. A funeral for a guy by the name of Harold Duffel. It's a really interesting man. Some of you may have met him. He is very elderly and frail, but he used to sometimes stagger up the hill from uh, the Doherty Centre when he was well enough to come up to church. Bit of an unusual funeral. He was a bit of an unusual bloke. Donated his body for medical experiments and stuff like that. But the thing about this funeral is there was no coffin. He insisted that there be no coffin. I was just standing there next to Harold's body. It's only, uh, only a couple of days before that I visited Harold. and He was very sick, but he was still alive. And then there he was at his funeral, lying next to me, and he was gone. Utterly heaven. One of the most powerful descriptions of life that I've ever read is uh, from the play Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett. Uh, the author, he says that life, it's like being pulled out of the womb with forceps and dropped in the grave. That's life. That's the kind of thing the teacher is telling us. Life is short. Life is insubstantial. You, you can't get a hold of it. It slips through your fingers and it's gone. And so, and so the teacher has a question for us. A question, a, question of, a question about what we think we can achieve in this life. A question about what we think that we can gain that really lasts. 
Now, he's very careful to set his parameters. The teacher asks about life under the sun. And what, what he means by that is he's, he's thinking about life at this stage without reference to God. He's thinking about life as you can, as you can see it and hear it and touch it and taste it and smell it. He, he's, he's asking from a scientific perspective, effectively. And if you think about it, that is the world that most people today live, uh, most people today live in, isn't it? That's the only world they think is real. The world that says, this is it. What you see is what you get. If you're looking for meaning, don't talk to me about, about this God stuff. Deal with the facts. Well, that's what the teacher's doing. He says, all right, well, let's assume for a minute that, that what you see is what you get, that, that this material world that you can sense is all there is. Well, let me ask you, what can you gain from it that lasts? Verse 3, here's the question. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? That's the question. It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question for people like you and me, or people like you, who work day and night. Good question to ask about your seven till seven or eight till six or whatever the hours are you work. What is the gain? What is the gain? Well, to start us off on an, off an, an, off on an answer, the author describes this world that we live in. He starts off by talking about humanity. We, we, we think we're so important. But generations come and go. Every second a child is being born, every second someone is dying. We're all on one big conveyor belt. One comes on, one drops off. One comes on, one drops off. Generation comes on, generation drops off. Meanwhile, Ayers Rock just stands there. Meanwhile, the Grand Canyon just stands there. Verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. A while ago I bought a CD of songs from 1960 to 1964. It's probably more information than you need, but uh, I, I sometimes sing um, with my kids the song, you know, When We're Wet, When We're Wet, Ooh, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Yeah, Great, classic song. Anyway, the kids wanted to hear out how it actually sounds, not just sounds from me. And so we, uh, <laughs> we, we bought this uh, CD um, <clears throat> from 19, songs from 1960 to 1964. And I've got to say, listening to this CD really brings it home to me. You hear these young voices, Elvis, Aretha Franklin, Neil Sedaka, young teenage voices singing about love, singing about babies, singing about how, how their generation is different. Their mums and dads don't understand them because they're different. They're the ones who, who, who are going to be new and different. Uh, but now those young voices, those who haven't carked it already, they are in their 70s. Even their children are now old. I wasn't born in 1964 and I'm old. <laughs> generations, generations come and go onto the conveyor and off again, one big circle. Next, uh, next, the teacher shows us something of the circularity of nature. Starts off with the sun. The sun rises, the sun sets. The sun rises, it never arrives. It never says, right, today I'm just going to shine and I'm not going to stop. 
Tonight, I'm just going to have a rest and I'm not going to stop. No, it just goes round and, and it never gets where it's going. It never arrives. It just goes round and round and round. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The sun goes round and round and so does the wind. It, it blows south. It blows north. It never gets where it's going. It, it never says, right, I just want the air to stay still here for a minute. No, no, no. Just blowing round and round. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. You've got the sun, you've got the wind. Next he takes us to the water table, the streams. Their whole purpose in life is to bring water to the sea. But the job is never done. You never see a stream stop and say, okay, the sea is full, my work here is done. No, no. It just keeps on flowing down into the sea, up it evaporates, back where it started, down into the sea, up it evaporates, back... Round and round and round, never stops, never, ne- never gains anything, never achieves anything, just round and around and round. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. It's the same with human endeavour. You've never seen it all. You've never heard it all. There's always more you could see, more you could hear, more you could study. You never know everything there is to know. You never master anything. It's enough, it's enough to wear you out. Verse 8, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Can you see what he's doing? The teacher looks at the world and he sees that life is like a merry-go-round. Round and round, up and down. Maybe it's fun for a while, but he's been around enough times to realize it is going nowhere. Or have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? One of the all-time classic movies, the movie that all Christians should see, I think. Uh, a, a, bloke, uh, a bloke gets caught up in some kind of a time trap and uh, he has to live the same day over and over and over again. It doesn't matter what he does, he, he wakes up, the alarm's gone off and he's back in the same day again. Isn't life like that? Certainly it is once you have children. <laughs> Every day is the same. You drag yourself out of bed with the same kids sitting on your head, um, or any, any one of four in my case. You, you do your jobs, get up, it's the same wheat picks into the same bowls and the same milk and the same kids who whinge about the same things. And It's the same jobs that you did yesterday. You wash the dishes, you clean the clothes, you cook the dinner, you make the lunches, but the next day the dishes are dirty again and the clothes are dirty again and, and the kids are hungry again and so you have to start all over again. You can never stop and say, the dishes are washed and they will stay clean. It's just not going to happen. Okay? It's not the, can, can you see what the teacher's saying? just goes round and round in circles. There is no point of arrival in life. There's no point that you can stop and say, that's it, the job is done, there is no more to do, I now have my lasting gain. It's just not the way life is. The sun never arrives, just goes round and round. The, the wind never arrives, just blows round and round. The water never arrives, just, just round and round. You and I, we can never arrive. We can never finish what there is to see and hear. It just goes round and round and round. The teacher then goes on to talk about how all our so-called achievements are really nothing new. The latest iPhone. I had a couple of people try to show off their iPhones to me. Just another way of talking to people. 
I often laugh when I see my, my wife and my mum go out to lunch together. They, they sit at a table together and they both talk on their mobile phones. No different from what it was a thousand years ago. It's just that a thousand years ago people used to talk to each other. <laughs> the latest TV. You're just looking at stuff, either pretend stuff or else stuff you could see better in 3D in real life. The highest building, just a mud hut or a cave on a larger scale. Verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. The, the famous journalist Malcolm Muggeridge once said this. He said, all news is old things happening to new people. Old things happening to new people. Nothing really new about news. Nothing really new about anything. And if you're, if you're convinced, you've got the illusion that you've actually created something new, something different, well, the teacher's got some news for you. You'll soon be forgotten. It'll soon be forgotten. We'll all soon be forgotten. That, uh, that silly platitude that you hear at pagan funerals about how he'll live on in our memories. It is rubbish. Soon our memories will be dead as well. He'll be gone. He'll be forgotten. And so will we. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. James Baker used to be the US Secretary of State. One of the most glamorous and important jobs in the world. Travel, meeting with the, the most important people, shaping opinions, solving problems that affected every person on the planet. But James Baker says that his, his insignificance came home to him one day. He was driving through Washington, D.C. He looked out the window of his car and he saw a lonely old man shuffling on the street. On his own, unrecognised. Except by James Baker. James recognised him as his predecessor. The Secretary of State who came before him. Retired, forgotten, nobody knew him. Nobody cared. Well, that's the evidence the teacher presents us with. Generations come and go. The world goes round and round and round, never arriving. There's nothing really new. It'll all soon be forgotten. So what's the answer to the teacher's question? What lasting gain can you get from life under the sun? What is there that you can get that you can keep? What, what is the profit of your busy, busy, stressful life scurrying around as if it is so important? What are you going to have to show for it at the end? What are you going to have to show for the, the thousands of hours that you have stressed and worried and, and worked hard? Answer, big fat zero. Nothing, nada, absolutely zilch. It's like Job said, 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. This life is Havel. We can gain nothing of lasting significance. He who dies with the most toys does not win, because dead people can't play with toys. It's not the most pleasant stuff to hear, is it? It's not the most pleasant stuff to hear. And I've had all these people tell me about how depressed Ecclesiastes is, but I've got to say, I don't, I don't buy that at all. I reckon that what the teacher says here is vitally relevant. It is vitally relevant because most people, including most Christians and especially most North Shore Christians, most people live as if there is something to gain under the sun. We, we live as if all our stress and our fuss and our busyness makes some sort of a difference. We strive and we strive and we strive for stuff. For, for, we strive to own things. We strive for security. We strive for comfort. We strive for a better life for our children. We strive for significance. But the fact is, it's all just Havel. Soon we'll be dead and we'll have gained nothing. We will be just as naked and as penniless as the day we were born. Now, of course... The teacher's not the only person in history to have ever noticed this fact. Um, in fact, anyone who will turn off the TV for a second and turn their brains on will soon, soon work out that it's true. I quoted from Woody Allen before. He sees this so clearly. Or, or have a listen to the words of this song. I've been meaning for a long time to bring some Pink Floyd into a, a sermon. This is uh, by Pink Floyd from the album Dark Side of the Moon. You run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking and racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older and shorter of breath and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time, plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled line, hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. My time is over, my time is gone, the song is over, thought I would something more to say. The teacher's not the only person to have thought of this stuff because it is blatantly obvious. You know what the problem is? The problem is that most of us live our lives pretending that it isn't true. We ignore the obvious. It's like the proverbial elephant in the room. It is big and it is fat and it is grey and it is obvious, but we try to ignore it. We run around as if life matters, but plain as the nose on our faces, it's all just Havel. We try to pretend it's not true. And we insist that no one talk about it. We insist that no one's allowed to mention the elephant. That no one's allowed to mention that we're actually wasting our time and wasting our stress and wasting our days. Let me quote from Phil Campbell, the Prezi Minister in Queensland. He says it very nicely. He says... We live in a world that's purpose-built to stop people asking these sort of questions. Don't think about meaning. Don't think about ultimate purposes. It's too depressing. So have another drink. Make more money. Play another video game. Surf the net. Watch another video. Take another Prozac. Just whatever you do, don't ask the hard questions. If you're the typical Australian, you probably try not to think about it. Or else you'd be working from the basis of some sort of trite little answer like, I'm working hard for the kids to give them a good education. Why? Well, so they can get a good job like mine. Why? 
so they can work hard for their kids. Why? So, so they can get a good education. Round it goes. Friends, it's time to face facts. There is nothing you can gain under the sun. Doesn't matter how talented you are. Doesn't matter how clever you are. Doesn't matter how hard you work. Doesn't matter how much you stress about it. Doesn't matter how many ulcers you get on the way. Under the sun, you can gain nothing. And if you ignore that fact, if you, if you live in the fantasy world of pretending that you can gain something, well, you are being what the Bible would call a fool. You are not living in line with reality and your foolishness can only lead you to frustration and to failure. We need to listen to the teacher. We need to, we need to stop ignoring the elephant. It is foolish to live as if life under the sun lasts when it doesn't. It is foolish to live as if you can gain something from your work under the sun when you can't. We need to face up to the facts. It is only then, with our illusions dispelled, that the teacher can start to show us how to live wisely. But there is just one more thing to say before I finish. Just one more thing to say for Christians. What, what if... What if life under the sun isn't all there is? What if, what if there's more to life than the material? More than just what you can see and hear and taste and touch and smell. What, what if there is something permanent to live for? What if, just to pick an example out of the air, what if there was a man who rose again from death? A man who lives forever. A man whose life is not Havel. What if this man promised an eternal Havel-free life to those who trust in him, to those who, who rely on him? What if he, he gave his people a message that can rescue people from death and from this, from this, this, this breath of life? well, suddenly there would be the possibility of gaining something that lasts, wouldn't there? Suddenly, suddenly there would be something worth living for. Now, of course, if this were true, if there were, if there were any people who actually believed that kind of thing, well, well, their priorities would be very different, wouldn't they? They'd surely be the kind of people who, who wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be troubled so much by, by things that don't last. They'd be the sort of people who would be striving and spending their lives for, for the things that they can keep forever. Surely, surely they'd be the people who'd be striving for the things that they can actually gain in life. Well, you'd think so anyway, wouldn't you? Okay, can you see what the teacher's doing? He's pointing out the elephant in the room. Most people live and work and stress as if they can truly gain something from this life, but if this life is all there is, they are wrong. The way they are living is foolish. It can only lead to frustration and to failure. We've got to face up to the fact. We've got to acknowledge the elephant and then we've got to start living our lives appropriately. And that is exactly what the teacher will help us to do as we uh, work with him over the next few weeks. Let's pray.
Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you that he has risen again from the dead and that we can see that there is meaning and purpose to life. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to learn the lesson that the teacher is teaching us to recognize that in, in this life there is no lasting gain. And we pray over these next few weeks that you help us to, to face up to the facts of life as it is and to live wisely. Please give us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.